Hello, I'm Tom Farrell from the Open University Business School, and I'm talking to Professor of Social Marketing, Jared Hastings. We're discussing the ethically questionable use of shock tactics and fear appeals to advertise good causes, such as smoking cessation, safe driving, or charities. Hello, Jared. Hello, Tom. Is it ever justifiable to use these shock tactics showing violent images to promote social marketing messages? I think getting people to change their behaviour is a difficult and complex process, and there are undoubtedly times when a simple fear appeal will be by far the best thing to do. So if a theatre is burning down, shouting fire, and getting people motivated to shift from their seats out of fear is a very effective way of doing it. However, a lot of the behaviours we're trying to change are much more complex than just running from a burning building. We want people to move away from an addiction, for example, or practice safer sex over a lifetime, not just once. So we're really talking about lifestyle issues rather than simple one-off behaviours, in which case I think we have to think a little bit more um, imaginatively than just rely on the big stick. I was particularly interested in your reactions to a number of campaigns. For example, there was one for the Department of Health... Uh, smoking sensation campaign, which portrayed the addiction as people being hooked. And literally, they showed people being dragged by fish hooks mm. back and forwards. Surely, that's going to put off more people due to its over graphic detail. It's a tricky one, Tom, because nicotine is phenomenally addictive. It's more addictive than heroin is, and most people wouldn't realise that. So, you know, there's an educative side to portraying it in that way. But it also illustrates the problem here, that if you overemphasise that point of addiction, then do you actually disempower people from quitting smoking? The danger is in the, in this, the urge to cut through the clutter and produce a dramatic ad, you end up disempowering people, overemphasising the difficulty of the behaviour and their own personal ability to take control of what is going on. The point about the focus of the campaigns in terms of advertising models, that we would take people through various stages, perhaps going from attention, interest, desire, action, to use the standard AIDA model. Is there an overemphasis, perhaps, on this getting the attention when social marketers really want to focus on the behaviour change end? So effectively, these one-off campaigns are concentrating too much at this attention-getting stage. I think you're making a very important point that um, that you use that phrase, one-off. If you go down this very dramatic communications route, you are sort of being driven by the one-off need to get people's attention now, whereas the learning coming out of business over the last few decades has been to build up ongoing relationships with your customers. You want people to be on side, to own the message that you're putting across, whether it be the brand values or the concept in public health to make our own lives healthier and happier and longer and make people feel in charge. And I don't think a good basis for a relationship is threatening people all the time. If um, we are trying to get a behaviour which might be donate to a charity, the risk is they're also playing with the brand values because, in effect, there can be an unintended consequences from these particular types of campaigns. I think that's absolutely right. And if you look at how commercial marketers use advertising, you get very few of these very dramatic fear-inducing campaigns. The emphasis is much more on the positive, much more on the can-do, much more on the opportunity to make life better. Even when advertising something like life insurance, you know, which is the ultimate, isn't it? The product you never want to claim on. I mean, you never want to get the benefit for because you have to die to do it. 
thinking about maybe uh, the Bernardo's case, where a young lady was being shown slapped continuously about the head and while mm. being verbally abused. Is there also a moral question here in the fact that victims of abuse, for example, are being shown the very thing that has caused them these problems? So you have this perpetuation um, in the portrayal of abuse is also triggering emotional, psychological problems with people who have been themselves abused. Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely right, Tom, and th- this is very deep and difficult water. Uh, I know a few years ago we worked on a, a campaign that was uh, did some research around a campaign on domestic violence. And as well as talking to the general public, we also talked to women who had been the victim of domestic violence. And one of the things that they alerted us to is that the coverage of this issue in the media, whether in an advertising campaign, could actually trigger attacks. So very serious potential implication there. Another campaign that we conducted some research around um, in Scotland looking at glue sniffing. It was a TV ad with a black screen throughout and an adult crying. And the resolution of it was that their child had died from a glue-sniffing incident, which is fine unless you happen to be the parent of a child who's already died of glue-sniffing. Perhaps there isn't enough research going into the, the planning of these campaigns or looking at their effects and unintended consequences. Is there any research that would back up that these are ever acceptable as a tactic? I think you raise a very important issue, which is that it shouldn't just be looking at intended consequences, but also unintended consequences. It shouldn't just focus on the target audience, but if you're talking about a mass media campaign, it needs to look at other audiences that you don't intend but may well be exposed to the campaign. What's more important, actually, is is to um, broaden the perspective of what we're trying to achieve in social marketing and recognising that ultimately this this isn't about shifting individual behaviours or bits of behaviours. It's about engaging the general public in the issues. We've learned so much about how the body works. Now, we know that if you do things like eat veg or avoid smoking or drink moderately, you know, it will make your life better and your body stronger and fitter and healthier and happier. And, And that's the emphasis that should be. Given that, then using fear all the time seems a really perverse approach. A lot of the research that's been done on fear messages has been done in a laboratory setting. What that suggests is that we're not sure whether it works or not. And I suspect we've got a problem here of asking the wrong question. You can't say fear messages do work or don't work in that very general way. The harder the behaviour is to shift, the less likely any particular message, but particularly a fear message, is likely to be because you need a more sophisticated response to it. You know, it's going to take time, it's going to take effort, it's going to take support. It's a bit like bringing up a child. You know, you're not going to produce a well-rounded adult by simply scaring them about all the things that are going to go wrong in life if they don't do exactly as you tell them to. What you're trying to do is implant in them the ability to make those judgments and decisions for themselves, and that's, that's a more sophisticated task. A lot of the research and the results of it are ambivalent, have been done in very artificial settings. And really what we're trying to do is influence the way people behave in in the real world, not just individuals, but whole communities behave um, in a complex, multifaceted society. And that means that we need to give them a sense of, of, of control over it. We also need to ensure that we address the environment in which they live. But the danger is that they overemphasize the role of the individual clearly important individual, but they are not the sole authors of their own fate.
Is there a sense of self-efficacy here in that the people have to engage, they have to have the power and the resources to be able to do that? So in a way, the campaigns really need to be so much more integrated in terms of the marketing mix that you have to put support services around it. And it's more about getting ownership, getting people to, to engage with the, with the issues, but more so engage with the solutions. Perhaps the, the use of the fear appeal actually puts a barrier in the way there. Absolutely. Beautifully expressed, I might say. It is exactly that. What happens if you get too hooked up on um, fear messages is that you exaggerate the role of the individual and you exaggerate the role of communications in this process. You know, we're only going to make serious steps forward when we fully engage people in the process of public health so that people buy into it and say, yeah, this is a, a good, helpful, enjoyable thing to do. I suppose if we take the marketing concept to heart, yeah. it is this idea that we are really putting the customer at the centre, that the heart of what we're doing is really about the customer. There's a certain patronisation going on in a lot of the campaigns. In, the, in other words, that we know what's best for you, and it's sort of a high and mighty voice saying, you should be doing this, yeah. when really the practitioners and the people on the ground who are trying to change addictive behaviours, it's a much more personalised thing. It isn't a one-size-fits-all. Yeah. So therefore, to a certain extent, we could argue it's, it's unethical to spend all this money when we could be doing stuff really at the grassroots. Well, you, you also used a really important word in what you were saying there, Tom, heart. Now, you were meaning it in the sense of the bullseye, as it were, the core, but uh, it, it also brings in that idea of emotion. And what fear messages are doing are playing on people's emotions. But what social marketers seem to have a fixation on is that one emotion of fear. You know, there's a whole palette of emotions out there. You know, there's love, there's hope, there's aspiration, there's uh, happiness, there's laughter. There's, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that you can um, harness in order to engage people, not just in the mind but in the heart as well, which is very important. And indeed the commercial sector does this in spades. You know, and the ultimate example of this is, is the brand. You know, and the immense effort and time that's put in to perfecting and... and uh, moulding that brand so it expresses exactly what the company wants it to express about their offering and indeed the, the, the whole organisation. Success isn't going to be built on doing things to people, it's going to be built on doing things with people. You know, engaging people, getting them involved, you know, working with them to improve their behaviour and also enabling and empowering them to work with other people. Do you feel that the, um, the use of virals and, and um, going more online takes us into this area where it's not as controlled as it was before. How, how do you feel about the, the, the regulator's ability to curb, um, let's say, the use of more sort of um, sinister um, and viral approaches? People will um, push the limits and because times are hard, they will push the limits a bit more. And that, I think, is really built on the old adage that, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fallacy. Advertisers have known for generations that they can get lots of awareness if they put naked ladies in their advertising or whatever it might be. You, you can certainly get people to pay attention. But if they pay attention at the cost of their respect for the company or their respect for the offering or whatever, I think that's, that's dubious. Also, as a social marketer, you are going to cut through the clutter to a large extent because you're one of the few ads on telly that's not trying to sell people something. So, you know, you, you've, you've already got a, a, a good advantage. Coming on to new media, yeah, there is 
less regulation. And I think certainly commercial marketers will do things on, online that they would not do um, on uh, mainstream media, if only because they would fall foul of the regulators, but also because you can target more effectively. You know, if, you're no, if you know your material is going out to teenagers rather than to adults, then you, know, you, can, you can approach it slightly differently. So yeah, there is an issue that uh, uh, people push these limits. But more importantly, I think, with new media is that it gives you an opportunity to engage with people in an interactive way that traditional media didn't. You know, traditional media were very much about designing a message centrally and broadcasting it out. And, you know, the, the audience, at least at the stage the campaign runs, are essentially passive. Um, whereas with viral campaigns, it's not quite like that. The opportunity, if you like, for social marketers is to really engage more in relationship management, being involved more empathetically in sort of building these relationships which are ongoing. The use of oral and word of mouth could actually be quite an effective way of doing that because you would then engage the audience to pass on the, the messages. Building awareness, but again, at the point of where it's most needed. We need to be very alert to the unintended consequences of what we do. And I think then you come back to everything we've said that you know, you, you're overemphasizing the need to stimulate directly from one campaign rather than thinking about the strategic direction in which you're trying to go here, you know, build the brand, build the relationship, uh, engage people, involve them. Because I don't think there are many parents out there in Britain who are pleased at the effect their smoking is having on children or oblivious to the effect their smoking is having on children, either directly through secondhand smoke or through the, um, the lead they are giving, the unfortunate, unhealthy lead they are giving. Um, so, you know, there's an extent to which also, you know, you're perhaps patronising people again. Well, thank you very much, Jared. That's been most interesting and it's been really good talking to you. Thanks a lot. From the Open University... For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.